Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and on today's episode, we are going to talk about wells and large rocks and weeping. And once again, Rachel is joining me today to talk about all of those things and probably a lot more. So hello, Rachel. Hey, Warren. I'm excited. (laughs) That was a nice way to frame it. Yeah, wells, rocks, well, I say rocks, one large rock really, just one rock, and, and, and weeping, weeping aloud. So all of those things are in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. And so we're going to be in Genesis 29, the beginning of Genesis 29. This is another conversation that's, that's going to be connected to our, our sermon series that we're in right now. The, the series is called Rightly Named Jacob. We're taking a look at, at the, the life, the story of Jacob, and really some of the dysfunction that, uh, that is rampant throughout his family. And, you know, even just, so we're, we're recording this on, on Monday, April 26th. And so yesterday's sermon picked up really about the spot that we're going to end today. So we're kind of filling in what happened before before the text in, in yesterday's sermon, if you're listening to this, the kind of the the week that it comes out. And it's it's been it's been good and it's been interesting because I've I've certainly enjoyed kind of going back over Jacob's life in this way. There have been several things that I have sort of seen in new ways, and I think going through some of these stories in such detail helps us to do that. And I even got a couple of comments this past Sunday that I think the same has happened for other people, where someone made a comment to me that, you know, I just, I never realized the dysfunction that was present in Jacob's family. And it's like, yeah, once you start digging into it, yeah, these, it's just, it was a mess. It was a mess. And so today's story isn't quite as messy, but I think as we're going to see, it sets up the mess that we find later in this chapter, and especially then in the couple of chapters after this, once once Jacob and his wives and servants start having kids. So so this kind of uh, looks forward to, to a, a lot of what happens there. And so... Uh, like I said, we, we didn't get to this part of Genesis 29 in the sermon, and it, it just would have been too much material for, for one sermon. But I also think there's a lot of stuff today that kind of lends itself well to conversation. So that's what we're going to do today, talk through the first 14 verses of Genesis 29. And so I'm going to begin by, by reading those verses, and then, Rachel, I'm going to throw it to you and let you kick off our discussion, and you can take it in whichever direction you think will be most interesting or compelling or the best place to go first. Sound good? Okay. All right. So Genesis 29. Then Jacob continued on his journey. You may remember, just I guess to set it up just a little bit, he's, he's left home. It's a little bit out of order if you've been following along since we kind of have already passed this point in, in our Sunday stuff. But at this point, he's, he's left home and he's traveling on his way to kind of the land where his extended family lives to search for a wife there. So uh, Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. 
Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said, and here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high and it's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. Okay, so like I said, that last paragraph is where we picked up in our sermon from this past Sunday. And there are many places, I think, in these verses that we could begin with conversation. So Rachel, where where do you want to begin? Where are we going to jump into first? <laughs> well, I'll start with something chosen by my personality, and that's that I love love stories. And this is a, a marriage story. It's an engagement story. And this is something that happened more than once in the Old Testament. So it's kind of a story pattern that we have here of something that the ancient readers, when they heard this, it would have clued them in when they heard that Jacob is at the well and they know his mission is he's looking for for a wife. That's why he left home. So as soon as they hear that he gets to a well, it kind of clues in the reader, oh, okay, this might be where he's about to, to meet his sweetheart. Um, so it's the same thing that happens for Isaac's servant, although it's not Isaac himself who goes, but he finds Rebecca at a well. Um, and Moses also finds his wife at a well. And so I just think it's interesting that um, the well is kind of this somehow becomes this romantic place of it's a, a place where people can interact with young women who probably would have come to to get water for their homes or in Rachel's case for her sheep and maybe their fathers are not around <laughs> um, and so it kind of gives this natural social location where young men can meet young women and in this case it turns out um, to lay the foundation for their marriage I do think it's funny that Jacob is so attracted to her and that the story points that out because I picture her as a shepherdess, like being kind of stinky, like she smells like sheep and um, maybe sort of dirty or sweaty, but um, she's beautiful to him. Yeah, the, I, I mentioned previously kind of before we started to Rachel that there were there were kind of three places I thought of as potentially going first. This was one of them. The well was one of them. So you hit on one of them. <laughs> um <laughs> And and yeah, I, I too kind of thought back to to uh, to the well that that uh, Abraham's servant comes to when searching for for a wife for Isaac. You know, 
it was in this same area, so it could have even mm-hmm. been the same spot or even That's the same well. That's what I well. was wondering. Was it the same spot where Rebecca and Rachel were both found? Yeah, and, and both include running to tell Laban, because Laban mm-hmm. is Rebecca's brother and and uh, and Rachel's dad. And so both include that element to it as well. And I think the point that you made, too, is a good one, that that each time the, the original kind of hearers are hearing these things i it it does seem like there there's the connections to the past are definitely built into that and it's supposed to clue you into to those things that happened in the past and so what it made me think of even as you were just talking then was you know because we see conversations happen around wells in the new testament as well per, perhaps most famously or well known between jesus and the samaritan woman at the well where you again have this conversation between a man and a woman at a well and and knowing how much kind of Jewish people would have committed scripture and and the story of their people to memory um, I wonder if if that would have if there's a connection they would have heard there between the well stories of of men meeting women in the past at wells and what they hear in in the interaction between between Jesus and and the Samaritan woman because it's already a scandalous image Mm. and maybe maybe that connection even adds to the scandal a little bit I think that definitely um, the early church and those who heard this story of the woman at the well definitely would have been expecting a different outcome from that story. They probably would have expected a marriage proposal, but then the different details come up of she's already had five husbands and some different particulars of that also clue you into, oh, okay, this one isn't going to go the normal way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um I was going to say, I think that's sort of part of the tragedy of this story, too, though, is that it's because, like you said, it sounds like the beginning of this great love story. Mm. But then then their marriage ends up becoming just consumed by competition and jealousy that it doesn't feel like this this love story that that seems to have this perfect beginning here really ever is able to fully bloom or or come about because of. Just again, the rampant dysfunction and jealousy and competition that happens, and and I think if you fast forward all the way, like to Joseph's birth, once Rachel is finally able to have have a son, like if in some ways there's there's some element of of sort of the reasons that Jacob uh, has such an affection for Joseph, and that Joseph is so obviously his favorite son. Just as if there's this connection all the way back even to this story of how this was supposed to be this great love story between Jacob and Rachel that never fully is realized, it doesn't seem like. Hmm. Yeah. So I feel like Jesus interacting with the woman at the well is a redemption of the brokenness of Jacob and Rachel at the well. Because it. I think that the original hearers of this story would have been expecting that marriage proposal from Jesus, and it comes in a different way. So we find out that this woman is basically not eligible for marriage, and that really wasn't Jesus's intention, but he reveals who his bride is, and it's those who worship in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus's message is about the unity of those who are in relationship with Yahweh, those who have the spirit. So Jesus actually does give a proposal 
at the will, but it's not to the woman. It's to those who do the will of his father, those who join the family of God. The church becomes the bride of Christ. Um, And so I think this is just the woman at the well is such a cool story when you compare it to the Old Testament versions and realize that the people who first read and heard this would have expected a marriage (laughs) from Jesus out of his conversation with the woman at the well. But it turns out to be this divine marriage of the church in Christ. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I, you know, one thing that I had forgotten about until we just, just brought it up thinking about it, um, is that that well that they meet at is called Jacob's Jacob's well. Jacob's well. I I had forgotten that. And, and she brings up Jacob when she says, are you greater than our father, Jacob, who Mm. gave us the well and drank from him himself as did his own sons and his livestock. So, Mm -hmm. So the connections in that story to Jacob are not only implied, they're, yeah. they're put right out there. It's very direct. There's, there's these elements that are consistent with the Old Testament marriage well story. So you have a man who's on a journey. So Jesus is traveling. Jacob was also traveling. And he's sort of in search of something. Um, Jacob is in search of a wife. Jesus is in search of doing the will of God or proclaiming the kingdom of God. And then you have a woman who comes and provides water in some sense or receives water. Um, And you usually have someone running away with news. And so Rachel runs home to tell Laban, hey, our family member is here at the well. And the woman at the well runs away to say, I found the Messiah. (laughs) So she announces this guest. There's an extension of hospitality. There's some kind of table or meal or drink that's shared or like someone stays for a while. And it says that Jesus stayed there for a time. Um, So it fits the pattern. And so you expect, like we don't, because we we know the story of the woman in the well the way it is. But the original hearers would have expected this marriage story. And so I think that they would have seen the connection to it being the marriage of the kingdom of God. And Jesus actually called the bridegroom also in John chapter 4 as well. Yeah, that's a good connection. This is this is the benefit of doing it conversationally because I, I hadn't <laughs> thought of that until we were talking through it. And, and yeah, there is, there is a lot there. And then there's the stone. For well, that's and yeah. Jacob so that's story. what I was going to say next. Is keeping keeping with the well. I think there's this great part of of this story is about this stone that's over the well that apparently um, was apparently at least very difficult to move because the rest of the shepherds are like, no, we're not we're not moving that thing until everybody gets here. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't just we don't just go about moving that thing back and forth. Like we're waiting until everybody's here. And then we're going to move that thing once so everybody's mm-hmm. sheep can, can drink at the same time. And then we're moving it back. And then Rachel starts to show up and and Jacob's like, I'm just going to do this myself. And it sort of comes across as this like feat of strength almost. This is, is Jacob just overcome with adrenaline and emotion. And so he's able to move this stone that usually takes five men to move. Um, is, is this just – I think he comes across certainly as, as an emotional – person in this story which again I don't think is very difficult to sort of wrap your head around why he's overcome with emotion now like he leaves he leaves home fearing for his life 
um, not knowing what's going to happen. Just this is just such a roller coaster of emotion for for Jacob. Now he's moving stones that or moving a large stone that usually takes multiple people apparently <laughs> to to move and and so i don't know i think it kind of you could sort of just as you were saying this is kind of a love story you could certainly romanticize even that aspect of the story that he just uh yeah he sees rachel coming he's like all right i gotta impress this woman and just <laughs> yeah picks that thing up and chunks it <laughs> He does this Herculean feat. Basically, this is his gesture to show like, hey, like yeah. I'm a hunky dude, you know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that he's so attracted to her that he he wants her to be attracted to him, too. So he does this really Herculean, impressive feat. So whether that was prideful or the right thing, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I think that I do see the romance in it that he's trying to to kind of woo her in that way. Yeah, and you know, the other interesting thing that I read about this this kind of element of that story, um, again, this is something that we've talked about this in some other podcast episodes especially. There are some places you can kind of fill in the gaps or, or kind of read into a little bit parts of the story. And, and so there's a thought connected to this part of the story that's connected to Laban. Um, because I, I read one one author suggest that part of the inclusion of this account is for for those reasons that we said it's kind of him trying to to impress Rachel, but actually what it does is it impresses Laban. Oh, um, wow, okay. And so if you think about it, and so there, there's a connection back to again. So if you go back to the other well story, when Abraham's servant comes to find a wife for Isaac. He sees Rebecca, and he gives Rebecca all this jewelry and and I think gold. Um, and so then it says, so again, Rebecca runs back home to tell Laban her brother, and it says, as soon as he had seen the nose ring, he being Laban, as soon as Laban had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and heard Rebecca tell tell what the man had said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. So it's like that's the first thing Laban sees is this expensive jewelry. And he's yeah. like, Oh, okay, yeah, let's let's go get this guy <laughs> and have have my sister marry him. Or do do whatever, go marry the person that he's gonna have her marry, whatever it is. And and so then if you come back to this episode now, it says that Rachel goes back tells her dad Laban and after Laban hears about everything that you know that, that she's saying about Jacob runs out to meet him so like maybe it's this aspect again sort of of Laban's selfishness or kind of what can I get out of this you know in the first proposal he sees a way to maybe enrich himself and now he sees hey this could be a good worker if if, if there's a guy out there oh. if there's a guy out there that can move that stone all by himself that's a guy I could bring into my house and get some good work out of. And he does capitalize on that, which is surprising to me because up to this point, Jacob seems like a homebody. He's the one cooking and right. hanging out with his mom. He's not the outdoorsman like his brother. Yeah, but again, so first impressions, right? Because Laban doesn't know <laughs> any of that story at this point. All he knows is, here's this, here's this guy out there who can move that stone all by himself. Maybe I could get 14 years of labor out of him. (laughs) I wonder if he did have that plan all along. Because one of the things I wonder about the the switching of Leah for Rachel 
is was this Laban's intention from the beginning or did he change his mind along the way? Yeah, obviously any answer there would be just completely speculative. Yeah. (laughs) But I sort of think that he did. Mm. I think this was his intent. If you kind of read his answer at the end of those seven years where he says, it's not our custom to give the youngest daughter first. I picture, right or wrong, obviously, I picture Laban as this guy who's thinking, well, I I imagine he had the thought for a while that it was going to be difficult to find a husband for Leah. Hmm. Like whether or not that's true, you know, and obviously in modern society, we'd have a very um, sort of difficult time with that conclusion from someone. But if you think in that day and time, like maybe that's just what Laban thought. It's like, how are we going to how are we going to get Leah married off? And so I, I tend to think that from the beginning, that's kind of his plan. And he's going to he's going to have him marry Leah first and then and then come back and get more more time out of him to marry Rachel, too. Do you have a thought there? Um, yeah, that's kind of what I think, too, is that because his answer. So when Jacob basically proposes, his answer is, it is better that I give her to you than to any other man. So it's not like a direct yes, like, yes, I will let you marry Rachel. It's it's better for me to give her to you than to anybody else, which I actually think that's a really great answer. Like dads, when some man comes to ask for your permission to marry his daughter, I think that's a great answer. As long as you don't have this secret plan of sabotage or some hidden fine print, I think it's really affirming and encouraging to say, it's better for me to give her to you than to any other man. <laughs> but J- But Laban's answer doesn't really say... Yeah, but only her, and I'll give you Rachel first, apart from the older sister, you know. I feel like he affirms, but it was a little bit evasive, too. Yeah, yeah, depending on how you read that statement, it could either be sort of affirming of, of both of them, the the, the daughter and, and the one asking. But yeah, when I think especially when Layman says it, says it, you hear ill intent or something that comes with it, I feel like, or underhanded, I don't know. Because I think I, like I think the sort words. of the yeah, <laughs> if like I said, I think <laughs> if they're black and white. But I think it also just shows I think the way that women at that time and throughout history are just kind of seen as property to give away for to give away and to barter almost for whatever's going to serve your your own needs. And and so I think you could certainly read that into it as well. But that's still but the I think, way it is in a lot of the world, actually. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah, but the underlying sentiment that we would hopefully read into that of, you know, I think the positive expression of that to me would be like, I think you're the best person to marry my daughter. That would be, I think the, maybe the more positive way to frame that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead of, cause I guess maybe it's just cause it's Laban, but also because of just the way that I think it's, it feels like some of these women are kind of treated these stories. It almost comes across as like, eh, I'm, you know, um, I might as well give her to you or something, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, mm. And so, so yeah. And, and then, you know, if you look at the end of, of that story that we read today, where, where Laban says to Jacob, you are my own flesh and blood. I think even there, I think there is sort of, you can read some manipulation to that statement as well. Like he's trying to kind of connect himself to Jacob but I think even that may have a little bit of foreshadowing element to it because one kind of interpretation of that phrase that I read, someone said you could also read that as saying, we are cut from the same cloth. 
Hmm. And so it's like the deceptiveness that we've seen is a part of Jacob's way of dealing with people. This is almost a way of kind of kind of just throwing in there that like we're we're cut from the same cloth. And so some of that deceptiveness is going to be seen in Laban's dealings as well. Yeah. Some of the stuff you've been doing to others. Oh, yeah. I also have plans like that for you. <laughs> yeah. So you said we were talking about sobbing, too. Well, sobbing was, yeah, I said it was just, a, it was a part of the story. <laughs> and I just think, I think I mainly mentioned my main thought on that was just that it shows, I think, the emotion of Jacob and what, you know, we could read into what we think that emotion is there. I think you could, you could read that as love uh, or kind of overcome with affection. I think you could also, though, just read it as relief like all that Jacob has been through and now he's arrived and he's found his family and maybe this is just this outpouring of relief and built up stress that just comes out in literal tears and weeping. Yeah. So Jacob kisses Rachel and weeps aloud. That's basically the proposal. <laughs> yeah. Is a kiss matched with sobbing. So how many men have proposed to their wives with a kiss and just full on crying? I mean, I think that that does happen sometimes and it can be really sweet. Um, but I kind of wonder, is this like messy cry? Like the like <laughs> like snot rolling down the nose and stuff? Because um, it says he cried loudly, right? Yeah, yeah. Weeped, he weeped aloud. aloud. See, I yeah. think I sort of had a different response that my thought was, because, yeah, it's sort of the proposal, but it's also their first introduction. And so right. my thought was, you know, especially thinking like for my daughter, you know, if a man introduces himself to you by kissing you and weeping aloud, I think Rachel's response is the proper one. You run and tell mm. your dad. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, yeah, that's good family advice. Yeah. If, you, mm-hmm. if a man introduces himself to you by kissing you and weeping aloud, running away is the proper response. <laughs> <laughs> But she does know that he is her family member, right? So that's the whole context. Yes, of the story. I know, I know. Again, <laughs> modern modern eyes and sensibilities. I know. Yeah. But but no, I I think you're right that it it is meant to I think be this this sign of confection. I mean affection and connectivity. I combine those two words. Yeah, you um, made a sugary treat. That's right, I did. <laughs> and and yeah, I think that's what we're supposed to hear in that. And I think also, so I wanted to talk about Rachel for a minute too, because one of the things that I think is interesting in this story about Rachel is that she's referred to as a shepherd. And she's Mm -hmm. actually the only woman referred to in scripture as a shepherd. So cool. Which is, yeah, it's interesting to me. And her name in Hebrew actually means... Little lamb. Yeah, lamb or uh, you or sheep. And... So I don't know what we make of that. And I don't really know if we make anything of the idea that she's described as a shepherd. But part of what I wondered with that is that because we're told later and we're told later that, you know, Rachel is is very beautiful. And and it seems like her dad even knows that 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 Laban is 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 beautiful. And and Leah is I mean, just in the words of Scripture is is not pictured or described in the same terms as 
as, as Rachel. Leah is described as having weak eyes, which is just a, I don't even know what that means, but it's not a great description. It doesn't seem I've like. I've heard that that could mean that like this is the only element of her appearance that's actually appealing or beautiful, because if you read it as soft eyes, um, that it's like everything is not so great, but she had nice eyes. Like, we'll give her uh. that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, you read that. The, the story seems to pretty directly say, you know, Rachel was the more attractive of the two sisters, It is how it, it appears. But part of me wonders if this description of her as a shepherd is also to show, like, she's also, like, a hard worker who's mm. who's got this work ethic and is willing to go out and do the dirty work of, of working with sheep. But she's also this, you know, the more attractive of the two sisters. And so part of me wonders if this is part of just kind of a way to to almost picture Rachel as something like the perfect woman. Like this is maybe at this time, you know, this is everything that, that a man would be looking for in a woman, right? She's She'll yeah. get out there and work with the sheep. She's beautiful. All these things. And And I think, you know, again, it's telling that going forward from here, I don't think the story presents Rachel in a very favorable light most of the time that she's she's jealous she's she just kind of throws gas on kind of the combustible competitive relationship between her and her sister going forward uh she doesn't always make the choices the best choices in in the marriage relationship and makes some of the same mistakes that that sarah did going back a couple of generations we're going to see that coming up next sunday and I don't know, just some of the things that we hear from Rachel going forward don't always present her in the best light, I don't feel like, which again is sort of contrasted with the ways that we are introduced to her. And, and I think just accentuates this idea that the beginning of this story is set up so kind of romantically in like this perfect way that these two meet and how it just seems to go downhill from there. Yeah, the description of the woman as the shepherdess, but also beautiful. Yeah, I feel like that is kind of the ideal. Like even now, you know, like for someone to be able to to be hardworking and to be productive or whatever, to be a go-getter and also to be gorgeous. Like, um, so yeah, I feel yeah, like... Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to be known as both of those things, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what happens? Maybe we didn't really know much about her character, though, at this point. Like... We didn't. We weren't actually told if she was a good person or not, or like if she was patient or kind or trustworthy. Um, I feel like we don't know much about her character. We know about her appearance and what she does with her time. So maybe that's why it kind of goes downhill is because we didn't know that her she was also from a line of deceivers, and she'll do some deceiving of her own too. And I think it's it's just another way that the story sort of sets up what's going to happen next, because to me at least, and once again, this is going to be a little bit of kind of reading into things, but I think everything that happens with, with between Rachel and Jacob and the ways that Rachel's described, it's not difficult to see how she could feel somewhat, I don't know if entitled is the right word, but almost arrogant in her relationship, especially with Jacob. Uh, She's the favored one. She's the one that Jacob wants to be married to, all of that. And so some of her actions going forward in the marriage relationship, I think, makes sense with all of that backstory. And and the same thing with Leah, that that Leah is is someone... 
so overtly striving for approval and acceptance and love throughout their marriage then, which which makes sense because her dad basically has to trick someone into marrying her. At least that's what he feels like. He feels like I've got to trick someone into marrying her so that I can get get a husband for her. And and then the interesting thing too is even how Jacob sort of is presented because as we've said, like women are are treated basically as property at this time. But what's interesting is that once you get into the marriage relationship, that's almost flipped where it's Leah and Rachel who are pulling all the strings and sort of treating Jake like Jacob just does whatever they tell him to, basically. Uh, and and Jacob is kind of the pawn going forward that just does does what they want, which is this interesting role reversal for him because he's initially the one doing the deceiving and the manipulating and all that. And now he gets into in the middle of this competitive struggle between these two sisters where he just kind of seems caught in the middle of it and it seems to just kind of do whatever they want. Yeah. I feel like there's just a lot to think about, about the characters of who are these people, you know, what are their traits what are they like? What are their good qualities and their bad qualities that the more you read the story, the more those things come out. So I'm kind of like still trying to understand and grasp what's going on and all the dynamics between all the characters. Yeah, well, there's certainly there's certainly enough there to get into and, and digest for sure. <laughs> um, well, those those were kind of the main thoughts that I had from this from this section of Genesis. Do you have anything else that we didn't get to yet? I think that's good. I think it's just a really interesting story and it's fun to talk about. And I would just encourage everybody to like have more conversations about about this story or other passages of scripture uh, with your friends and with your church community, because I feel like we just keep learning more from each other and it's fun too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I think like, you know, we talked about that last week was just the benefits of of hearing different perspectives and and i think that that uh i think showed up again in our conversation today and just help helping us to get to that that place of connecting it to to jesus and the well and and some of the elements of that story and uh yeah it's always always good to to think through some of this with with others in community and to read others thoughts that's been really helpful to me i've mentioned that um, maybe in these episodes, but I think it, in the Zoom, I don't know. I get them all, they all run together between the podcast episodes and Zoom <laughs> conversations yeah. and sermons. But reading reading some of the rabbinical thoughts on this family ha- has been really, I think, interesting and eye-opening for me to hear the ways, especially the ways that some of the Jewish people kind of look back on these on these stories and, and the ways that they they read these stories and and the things that they kind of bring out of them it's been it's been a it's been really interesting and like i said i think that was that was one of the places that i had read that about laban being impressed with with jacob's feat of strength in this story um and and that it's just one more one more kind of knock on laban and his this this tendency that he seems to have to always be thinking about what's what's in it for me or what can I get out of this situation. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you for for spending this time with me today, Rachel. And we'll we'll wrap it up there. I hope that um, if you're listening to this, the week it comes out, we're going to get into as we've been saying here. This just sets up so much drama to come as. 
Jacob and Leah and Rachel begin building this complicated family. And, and so we're going to explore some of that in, in a little bit of a different way beginning or this, this Sunday during our worship service where Rachel and I are going to kind of do some team preaching, teaching on that story. And so we'll see how that goes. I think it'll go well. I'm excited about it and excited about exploring that, that story with you on Sunday. Sounds good. All right. Would you want to close us in prayer today, Rachel? Okay, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and how you speak to us and all the ways that we see ourselves in these flawed characters. And we just confess that we are so much like them, looking for ways to benefit ourselves, looking for ways to trick others so that we come out the winner. God, I just pray that you would humble us and forgive us and instead conform us into the image of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.